Well, I know that Pastor Matt already had a chance to do it, but I wanted to take a quick moment to also celebrate all the moms who are watching this service today. You have such an important job, such an important role, and as I've watched my mom and then my wife over the years, I know how hard it can be, and it doesn't have a lot of glamour to it on many times. And then you throw in the factors of being a mom in 2020, let's put it this way, that the quarantine life has not made it any easier. There are kids around all of the time, and they're doing school in the middle of the living room, in the middle of your bedroom, sometimes maybe even in the middle of your bathroom. School is going on. And yet, for the most part, you've handled it with such grace. And so today, we just want to celebrate you, whether and all the things that you do, whether it's the big things that everyone sees or the little things that hardly anyone notices. Thanks, moms, from the bottom of our hearts. Well, as we get going in our message for today, um, I've begun to notice a couple things about worship online. (laughs) One of the things is that it's really easy to get to church when it's online. All you have to do is walk into the living room, or maybe some of you are still in bed uh, for this online service. But the other thing that I've recognized as I've worshiped at home is how easy it is to get distracted. And so I want to play a little game with you this morning to hopefully grab your attention right at the beginning. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put up five pictures of different people, and I want you audibly, that means out loud, in whatever room you're in, to say the first thing that comes to mind when you see the person on the screen. Now, I realize this might be a little bit dangerous, but here we go. There's five pictures. Here's the first one. All right, say it out loud. What's the first thing you think of when you see this picture? This next one, I think, uh, is probably a picture of me in high school. Um, Here's the second one. Okay, well, maybe not. But what's the first thing that comes to mind when you see this picture? All right, here's the third one. Say it out loud, class participation. What do you think of? All right, here's the fourth one. This is definitely an outfit that you need to wear boxers with, that's for sure, all right? The layered look. (laughs) All right, this last one, before we show it, I just want to acknowledge that for some of us, our minds are going to be blown because depending on what part of the picture you look at, you're going to have a very different reaction. Here we go, last one. (laughs) See what I mean? You know... As you were sharing out loud your reaction to each of these pictures, let's get them all up there on the screen. The truth is, there's a lot of things that you could have said. And for some of you, maybe you just said something that was just very true and very factual, like American Ninja Warrior, or basketball player, or football fans. But the truth is there's also some other things you could have said when you saw each of these pictures, not just stating what it is, but maybe some action, act, adjectives to describe who it is. So like in this first one, maybe you thought, man, extreme or athletic. Or how about the second one? A little weird, 
How about this one? All the tattoos, the funky hair. Um, scary, maybe? Angry? I don't know. Uh, for this one, maybe some of us are thinking troubled youth that don't know how to pull up their pants. What's coming to this generation type of thing? And depending again on which side of this one you're looking at, maybe you thought they are people that are in need of counseling. In fact, maybe both sides are in need of a little counseling. I don't know. Well, the reason why we played this little game is that I wanted you to recognize and to realize just how easy it is for us to look at a person in a picture or in real life and to draw certain conclusions that may or may not be true. We so easily can put people just based on appearance or based on who they're with into certain categories or into certain boxes. And some of that is understandable, I suppose, and maybe not even wrong necessarily. But here's something else that is so, so true. That you can't truly get to know a person just based on how they appear or who they are with. And all of this leads to our first fill-in for this weekend. Um, it's a statement that I've used in the past, but it's so simple and it's so true that I'd like to use it again. It's this, that when people are put into boxes, that is into certain categories, when people are put into boxes, it's hard to see them. You know, it's so easy for us to stereotype people, to make generalizations about people, and not to take into consideration their unique background, their unique story, their unique opinions, and their unique history. And when we, as people or as a society, make these broad generalizations and just put people into boxes, it's hard to see them. When people are put into boxes, it's hard to see them. And the reality is, is this is something that's becoming more and more difficult and more and more people are doing it more in our country than ever before. You know, as I was thinking about the game that we just played, um, I had toyed around with the idea of putting a, a picture up there that represented different political parties. <laughs> yeah, I said I toyed around with it because uh, this is church and I wanted to make sure that there weren't any really bad words that were said in your living rooms as you worshiped along with us. But isn't it just amazing how we draw some really deep conclusions about people and who they are and how they feel and, and what they think based on who they vote for. We make all of these very strong generalizations so often. And the problem is, is that when we put people into boxes, it's hard to see them. And there are some unfortunate consequences that can result from this. I'm just going to point out a couple of them. The, the first is this. When we make generalizations about people, it can increase tension amongst people. I came across 
a very impactful quote from Martin Luther King Jr. this past week. And here's what he said about this. He said that I'm convinced that most people hate each other because they fear each other. And they fear each other because they don't know each other. And they don't know each other because they don't communicate with each other. When we don't get to know people, suspicion rises. And when suspicion rises, so does the tension. So not only does this increase tension, but also another result is that when we put people into boxes and make generalizations and stereotypes, it decreases opportunities. Opportunities to love each other. Opportunities to make new friends that might bring new opportunities to our lives. New opportunities to make an impact, to make a difference, to do together what we couldn't do by ourselves. Now, all of this leads to our scripture lesson for today. We are in the fourth and final part of a series that we called Be Bold. And what we're doing in the series is we're tracking along with one of Jesus' closest disciples. His name was Peter. In the days, months, and even years following Jesus' death and resurrection. And one of the things we see in Peter is a newfound boldness after Easter. We've seen his uh, bold witness. We've talked about some bold prayers and, and what that looks like. But here's something else you may not have known about Peter. Peter had the tendency to put people into categories, to put people into boxes. And what we're going to see today in our scripture lesson is we're going to see God confront this in Peter and give him a brand new framework with which to view all people in the world. But before we get there, let me give you just a little bit of background to our text. So a couple weeks ago in week two, we spent a lot of time looking at the command that Jesus gave to his church. That includes you and me. In fact, before he ascended into heaven, here was the last words that he shared with the disciples and the beginnings of the early church. He said, you, my people, will be my witnesses. You'll be the one to carry the message of the gospel out to the world. And he talks about different areas. In Jerusalem, that's the city where they were. In Judea, that's kind of like the state. In Samaria, that was a very nearby country. And then ultimately to the ends of the earth. Their job was to take it to the entire world. Well, in Acts chapter 10, we're probably approximately five years or so after Jesus gave this command. Guess how far the gospel message had gotten? just about a hundred miles and not yet at all out of Judea and Samaria. Five years, only about a hundred miles, a far cry from the ends of the earth. So what was going on? Why was the growth so stunted? Well, part of it, a big part of it is because of a prejudice that Peter 
and the other disciples had. You see, they were people descendant from Abraham. Uh, they came to be known as Jews. And there was a prejudice that Jews had against everyone else that was Gentiles. That, that's the, the word for anyone who's not a Jew. And so Jews view Gentiles as being far from God, as being, they would use the term unclean, um, not as important to God as the Jews were. And this affected the way that they interacted with Gentiles, especially towards the beginning of the early Christian church. Now, I suppose what we could do is we could just generalize and, and make a general statement about Peter and about the rest of the disciples, just call them bigots and racists and put them in a box. But that's not what we're going to do. Because I want to give you a little bit of background as to why this happened. So when you look through the Old Testament, you find that God decided to choose the family of Abraham from which the Savior would someday be born. Do you know why he chose Abraham's family? Because he had to choose someone. What I'm saying is there was nothing particularly special or more holy about Abraham's family. The Savior just needed to come from some family, and so he chose Abraham. And over the course of the Old Testament, through those centuries, we see that God had a special presence with that family. Because the most important thing to God, it's always been this way, is his salvation plan for the world. And so he protected that family. He guided that family. He fed that family. And then Jesus came from Abraham's family. And Jesus taught the disciples as they were together that things now had changed, that all those Old Testament rules and all those Old Testament rituals that the Jews were supposed to follow, like celebrations to have and, and food that they could or couldn't eat, that all those were now unneeded, that Jesus was here. There was no need for a separation anymore between Jew and Gentile. But here's the thing. This is how Peter and the rest of the Jews had grown up all of their lives. It was a hard thing to change. But if they didn't change, it was going to stunt the moving of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the truth is, it already had. So at the time of our text, Peter's in a coastal town called Joppa at the home of a man named Simon. And we read in Acts chapter 10 that it's, uh, it's lunchtime and Peter goes to the roof of the home that he's at and all of a sudden he sees a vision. And in this vision from God, there's a sheet that comes down from the sky and opens up. And on that sheet is a whole bunch of food. A whole bunch of food that before Peter, the disciples, and all Jews weren't able to eat. Food like certain types of fish and reptiles and, and even pork. And God's direction to Peter is this, get up 
and eat this food that before had been considered unclean. Now, <laughs> sidebar here. You have to understand what a momentous day this was for Peter, okay? Because for the very first time, God said it was okay for him to eat bacon, all right? That is a big day in Peter's life. Now, because of Peter's background, his response to God's encouragement that you could go and eat was, no, I, I can't eat anything that's unclean. Well, here's what God tells him in reply. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. God, through this vision, is reminding Peter of something that he should have already known that God no longer looks at food as clean and unclean, that things had changed, that there's no longer a barrier or a separation between Jew and Gentile. And then the sheet closes up and goes back into the sky. Almost immediately we read in Acts 10, there's a knock at the door. So Peter walks down the steps off the roof, opens the front door, and there are three men standing there. Three Gentile men. Three men whom Peter had struggled with how to categorize them. And quite frankly, much like the food, also would have looked at these men as being unclean. And not only had they come to visit Peter, but they said, you need to come with us. That God said, you should come with us to the home of Cornelius in Caesarea. Now, let's talk a little bit about Cornelius. Cornelius also was a Gentile, but not just any Gentile. He was a Roman Gentile. He was a Roman centurion. Jews hated Gentiles, but they hated Roman Gentiles the most. And if you worked for the Roman government, that was even worse. And now he's supposed to travel to Cornelius' home. <laughs> I was trying to think of a comparison for you that might help you better understand the discomfort that Peter was in. I want you to, to think about this, that it's in the, the middle of the fiercest part of an election cycle, okay? And a Democrat goes to the home of a Republican and says, you need to come with me. We're going to go to a Democratic National Convention or to a rally. And he gives that person a pin with a donkey on it and a blue tie. Now, if you're feeling at all a little bit discomfort over that, just multiply that by a thousand and you're starting to scratch the surface on how much of an uncomfortable situation this probably was for Peter. But because Peter told him to go, I'm sorry, God told him to go with these guests, that's exactly what he does. He travels with these three Gentiles to Caesarea. He gets to the home of Cornelius. And not only does he stand in front, but he actually goes into the house. I'm guessing that this likely was the very first time that Peter was ever in the home of a Gentile. 
And then he kind of puts his foot in his mouth. (laughs) Instead of thanking Cornelius and his family for their hospitality, he doesn't make a very good first impression. At least I don't think. Here's what Peter says. He says to Cornelius and his family, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. Basically he's saying, I really shouldn't be here. It's kind of beneath me for a Jew to be in the home of a Gentile. And, and then I noticed something for the very first time in this section. There's all of a sudden this awkwardness that almost teeters on humorous. And here's what I mean. Peter's there, but he's not sure why. Cornelius has invited Peter to come to his home, but he's not sure why either. They both did it because God had commanded them to do it, but they're not sure what they're supposed to do now that they're together. In fact, listen to what Cornelius says. He says, now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you, Peter, to tell us. Here's the problem. God hadn't commanded Peter to tell them anything. God didn't tell Peter to say anything. but he had given Peter some things to learn. And in this moment, and I'm sure it happened before this moment, Peter thinks back over the situation of the last few days and the sheet of food from heaven, the knock on the door from three Gentiles, the fact that he's currently in the home of a Roman centurion named Cornelius, And even though God hadn't commanded him to say anything, Peter had some things to say. Turn to verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now, after having gone through these situations of the last couple days, I now realize how true it is, because he should have known already, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. There's no type of person, no background, no race, no gender that's more or less important to God. He shows no favoritism, but instead accepts from every nation. That's a huge thing for Peter, not just Israel, not just the new Jewish nation, but accepts from every nation those who fear him and do what is right. Verse 36. You, Cornelius, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Here we go again. Who is Lord of all people. And you know, you've heard what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. If, if you look through the life and ministry of Jesus, you see a savior God who showed no prejudices depending on where you are from. I think of the Samaritan woman at the well or what your past looked like. He had the same message of sin and forgiveness for all because God was with him. 
verse 39. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. You see, Cornelius, you've heard about these things. I just want you to know we've seen these things with our eyes. We're witnesses. As you've heard, it is true that they killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him, even after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And then verse 43. All the prophets testify about him, about Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is a great little sermon, but it's made even better, even more impactful when we understand the backstory of Peter And what he's saying is that it's belief in Jesus. Not adhering to certain rituals or becoming a Jew because of certain surgeries or eating certain food or abstaining from certain food. It is belief in Jesus that saves. And on that day, we're told that Cornelius and his entire household came to believe that Jesus was the the Savior promised in the Old Testament and their entire household was baptized. These were some of the first Gentiles in the early Christian church. A tremendous and amazing conversion. But here's what I want you to consider. It wasn't the only conversion that day. There was another conversion, a different type of conversion that was going on in Peter's heart. (laughs) It was the way he viewed people and the way he came to understand how God viewed them. In fact, I think Peter would have made a good North Cross preacher because he's got a good fill-in-the-blank statement here. It's our our next fill-in-the-blank. It's this, that God does not show favoritism. Again, irregardless of your background, irregardless of your race or who you are, God loves us all through his son and our savior, Jesus. God kind of, well, he levels the playing field. And there's three primary ways that I want you to to think about that when it comes to how God views all people. Here's the first one. God has created all. You know, you look around your room there, you know, when everyone is here, when I look around church or just look around the world and you see tall people and short people, you see skinny people and stocky people, you see people with lots of hair, you see people that have trouble growing hair, you see people that are really good with music and people that are really good with sports, you see people that are really good at school and tests and some people that aren't but are really good at the school of hard knocks and of life. We are all created differently. And that's an amazingly awesome thing. 
but we're all created. We're created by the same God. In fact, it says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're like God's piece of artwork that he knit together and made the way we are. God has created all, okay? Here's the next thing. That sin has ruined all. And I think this is one of the things that Peter probably had to wrestle with. Not that he believed that the Jews were without sin, but he did believe, it was ingrained in his heart, kind of, that the Jews had a moral superiority over the Gentiles. And yet, just a few short years after Acts chapter 10 later, there's this man that comes on the scene named Paul. And years later, he writes a letter to Roman Gentile Christians. And here's what he writes. He writes in Romans chapter 3, that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. It's not that Gentiles are unclean. It's that we're all unclean because of our sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think still today, we like to put people into categories of sin. And we think about people that have big sin and people that have little sin. And we think of people that have lots of sin and some that don't have much sin. And we like to categorize things. And of course, there are certain sins that have different consequences here on earth. For instance, there's a big difference between me coveting someone's car or stealing someone's car. They're both sin in God's eyes but there will be more earthly consequences for stealing something. And yet, we all are the same in this, that unless we're absolutely perfect, we are broken. Unless we never sin, we are ruined all by ourselves. But that leads us to the last way that we're all the same, that Jesus has died for all. And, and that was brought out so well in that last verse that I highlighted earlier in verse 43, where, where Peter says this. He says that all the prophets testify about Jesus. This is a huge statement for Peter. He's, he's saying, first of all, that the entire Old Testament, all the, the prophet's words testify point to this, that everyone who believes, everyone in the Greek, panta, all, it excludes no one, but instead includes everyone, everyone, anyone who believes in Jesus receives that forgiveness that he bought, that he paid for on the cross. And from this moment, from Acts chapter 10, the entire trajectory of the early Christian church changed. A hundred miles in about five years. But very soon after this, like I mentioned before, a Christian named Paul came onto the scene. And over the next couple decades, he planted churches all around the Mediterranean Sea in almost the entire Roman Empire. And while Paul did most of the work, 
Without Acts chapter 10, I don't know how well it would have gone because Peter encouraged Paul. Peter accepted Paul. They had their tiffs here and there if you read through the New Testament. But Peter supported the work to all nations that Paul was doing with the Gentiles. (laughs) So, what about you and me? What are some takeaways that we can apply and put into action so that we also can be bold in our love, just like Peter came to be bold? Well, here's the first thing for application. That we should see people the way God does. Like we started with at the very beginning of our message today. It's so easy for us. It's, in fact, even natural for us to kind of assume we understand a person just because of how they look or how they vote or who they associate with. And yes, sometimes generalities happen because some generalities are true. But we would be way better off if we, in love, viewed people the way God does. Here's how he views everyone. As a soul. A soul that was purchased and paid for by Christ on the cross. A soul that needs to hear the message of sins forgiven. When Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, that meant that all sins of all people were paid for. And yet it is through faith, through trust in Jesus, that that forgiveness is received. Jesus' call to the disciples to take the message to the ends of the earth is still our call today. We need to see people as God did and does as blood-bought sinners in need of Jesus. And then, let's ask this question. How do I show love to the people around me? And I want to be really clear. This is not the type of love that just looks the other way, doesn't hold people to certain standards. No, there is such a thing as tough love. Love is seen in sharing truth just as much as it is in sharing grace. In fact, that's what makes it so hard. And yet it's God's calling to us. We talk about this a lot. When Jesus was asked to summarize the whole New Testament, he used one word in two different ways. He said, here's what you need to do. Love God and love others. Love God and love others. And I was thinking about that calling and thinking about you know, me as a a dad and how there's probably nothing you could do that would more show me love than loving on my kids. If I see you taking care of my kids or loving on my kids, that's probably the greatest way you could ever show me love. You probably feel the same way. I think that's how our Heavenly Father feels. That when, when we show love to his children, to his creation, 
Can't you see how that's also showing love to him? So how do I show love to the people around me in the way that I I share truth and grace, in the prayers that I pray, not just for the people that are easy to love, but for the people that are hard to love, in the sacrifices I make, in the withholding of judgment sometimes so that I'm able to have a, a conversation, in the forgiveness that we share with each other. How do I share love? to the people around me. Well, I hope you enjoyed this series that we're called Be Bold. It's a a series in which we've been challenging each other through God's word to at times be bold, even in a time and in a season where it's easy to shrink back. I I pray that it was a blessing to you and I'm going to keep you and your attempts to be bold in my prayers. Before we close this series out with prayer, I also wanted to quick say that if you've been worshiping with us today and would like to to learn more about North Cross, we would love for you to take a moment to fill out one of the online connection cards that you can find either in the chat box or on the main page of our website. We really value your presence with us, whether you're a first-time guest or a longtime North Cross family member and would love to know that you are with us. So, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather around the word, to have some of our thinking challenged maybe, and to be given encouragement that your love and forgiveness is for all people, and that includes me. And that includes everyone watching today. Lord, help us to do the hard work of considering how we now can show love to the people around us, irregardless of who they are or where they come from. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.